Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody. And uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful rehearsal this afternoon as we're getting ready for Resurrection Sunday, our musicale. Amen. God bless all you singers, technicians, participants, musicians. Praise God for you. Looking forward to that. Coming up next Sunday, we have Palms. And then a week from Tuesday, we have our Lord's Supper observance right here, 7.30 Tuesday evening, April the 4th. And then on Easter Sunday, our Resurrection Musicale. I hope you'll be inviting people. We have lots of literature to get out. Help us with that. And thank you to all of our faithful visitation people yesterday. Just a, I think a huge amount of work was done. Thank you. And this week, a lot of visits are going to be made as the weather clears up a little bit. It was a little rainy, drizzly, nasty on Saturday, but we worked around it and we passed out a lot of tracks. And uh, I mean, it was dizzying. To just to go through and pass out a lot of tracks to a lot of people that uh, they couldn't be outside having to pick us, so they came inside to shop. And so uh, trying to work with that, it was, uh, it was challenging. Praise the Lord for what he did and what he accomplished. And uh, then if you haven't signed up for the parasol tea, that's the ladies and girls uh, spring luncheon. It's going to be Saturday, April 29th. We're inviting all of the guests that we possibly can. It'll be at 1 o'clock. It's absolutely free. I hope you'll sign up and invite Lots of people to come. Well, amen. We've read some scripture from 1 Peter. And I think about that song we sang, Rejoice in the Lord. You know, it's written by Ron Hamilton. That may ring a bell for you. Uh, he is the son-in-law of Frank Garlock, who recently passed. Frank Garlock was, uh, I think, uh, a man who made a big difference in uh, Christian music stood for standards and good things and had a lot to do with Christian education and he and his wife now with the Lord. And their daughter Shelley married Ron Hamilton who uh, due to an accident lost sight in one eye, lost an eye and, and wore a patch and became known as Patch the Pirate. How many of you were raised on or raised your kids or your grandkids on Patch the Pirate? And praise the Lord for all those little songs. You know, there's all kinds of them. But Rejoice in the Lord is one of the more serious ones and um, he makes no mistake, he knoweth the end of each path that I take. I like those words. I know they're not inspired, but they're very inspiring, very helpful, especially when you're going through it. And I'm not going to ask you how many of you are going through it, because I'm going to tell you what, either you are, or you recently did, or you're about to. If you're a born-again Christian, there are plenty of fiery trials in this life. Got them every day, as I said. Got the big ones every now and then. Another great songwriter, friend of mine that passed away last year, named Tracy Dart. Tracy wrote these words. Life is easy when you're up on the mountain and you've got peace of mind like you've never known, but then things change. Isn't that true? Isn't that absolutely true? Then things change and you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith, child. Here's the reason. You're never alone. For the God on the mountain is still the God in the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make them right. The God of the good times is still God in the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. Tracy went home to be with Jesus last year at 78 years of age. Doesn't seem possible. Seems like just yesterday I heard the music of Tracy Dart for the first time he had all those great singing groups coming out of 
uh, now no longer existent, uh, Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College. And boy, he had some great musical groups, and they would usually sing his songs like that, other songs that he wrote and arranged. And uh, the majority of what was there uh, down in San Dimas, California, has moved now and has become Heartland Baptist Bible College and uh, is carrying on that same conservative, soul-winning, evangelistic testimony. And uh, I guess you have to, you got to have a scorecard, Tom, to keep up with fundamentalism. But uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, we were meeting with some folks that hadn't seen in a while and, and his first words to me were, well, what's going on in fundamentalism? As if we know, it's just a blur. But uh, there are lots of God's people, and I wanted to say there's still 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Amen? If you're glad to be among the 7,000, that's, that's 14,000 knees for all those that have all their joints and digits. But uh, just think about that, 7,000, and that's a, that's a huge number, and that's typical, that's symbolic of the fact that here and there you can find other people who believe just like we do because they've got the same Bible. They've got the same Jesus. Someone came by today to check out our services to test drive us and, and uh, uh, noted the similarity between these services and uh, a sister church not too far, just up the road. And uh, there are people who believe like we believe. You out there that are viewing, I'd like to welcome uh, our IT folks uh, coming online, various platforms and you know what? There are people all around this region, all around this country, all around this world who got the same Lord we've got, got the same Bible we've got, believe just like we do. We believe in the old time way. Amen? Amen. One of our former attenders here, now having moved to a distant state, texted us today when we were on the way to having lunch. And I saw that I'd been texted and I looked at that. And this person said, you are energetic. They're watching us online. And uh, the reason that gets mentioned is not because I'm abnormal. It's like Vance Havner said. He said, nowadays, nowadays, so many Christians are subnormal so that when they see somebody who's normal, they think he or she's abnormal. And that's it. So I get, I get looked upon, I get viewed as being uh, an abnormal kind of uh, energetic person. But that's the way everybody ought to be. Because He has begotten us. We read it in First Peter chapter 1. To what kind of a hope? A dull, boring hope? No, a lively hope. A lively hope. A living hope that we have. Praise God. We've got, uh, uh, we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Praise the Lord for that. Well, amen. Amen. I don't believe God does anything by mistake or by accident. I believe that everything is according to the plan. And what He permits, though He is not the author of confusion or sin, He is <clears throat> sovereign over everything going on in politics, in the world of, the, of, of uh, the rich, the famous, or the obscure. God is still in charge. He's still king of kings. And He's still... It's still going to come out all right. Now, in the meantime, the reason we've got problems and burdens and difficulties is because we have free choice. How many of you know that to be a fact? Sure, we've got free choice. We've got free will. We're able to choose right or wrong, good or bad or whatever. And sometimes people 
will choose a course. I think it was, uh, it was Noel Smith. Noel Smith, who was the editor of the Baptist Bible Tribune for the first, I don't know, 20, 25 years until he went home to be with God. And he, was, he, was, he had such a legal mind. And uh, I mean, he, was just, he had a mind like a steel trap. And, uh, and he would say these kinds of things to his students over there in, in Springfield, Baptist Bible College, Springfield, Missouri. He would say things like this. He would say, uh, men and rivers bend at the point of the greatest obstacle, the greatest opposition. And that's true. Men and rivers bend under pressure. Praise God, we know that we don't have to, that God will always give us grace to get through. Are you going through some suffering, some trials? You say, well, it's just the everyday little irritations kind of thing, but they're trials, aren't they? Well, for the little things, guess what we need? The grace of God. For the great things, what do we need? The grace of God. Hey, guess what? We need the grace of God for every kind, every size of trial. Every kind of burden we're going through, we need to trust in the Lord. We need to seek the Lord. We need to be dependent upon God. We need to, we need to lean on Him completely and entirely. And that's what our message tonight is about. Yes, the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. And so don't, don't give up hope. Don't, don't pack it in. Just because somebody, some person, some situation lets you down, uh, you know, people let us down in many ways. We let people down. We don't mean to, but we do. And uh, when that happens, the devil is whispering in the ear saying, that's a reason to quit. That's a reason to give up. That's a reason not to go on. I'm not listening to the devil. I'm going to get some holy earplugs. Put them in there. I'm not listening to you, Satan. Your mouth may be moving. Your lips may be moving. I'm not listening to you. I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to listen to the Lord, and I'm going to go God's way. Amen. Amen. This business of suffering is not the cause of quitting the good that God is doing through us. This business of suffering is to fix us up and make us better than we were before we suffered. If we go through by God's grace when we come out the other side, we'll be better, not bitter. All right? Amen? Better, not bitter. You cannot force everybody else to do right. You can't force everybody. Look around. You can't force everybody else to show up, to do right, to continue on. But we can do it. We can absolutely do it. And until God takes us home, let's be that way. Amen and amen. All right. I believe, as one commentator has said, that the suffering that God allows <coughs> has at least three <coughs> divine purposes. Let's put it down. As we go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and the first few verses... This commentator has said this wonderful and blessed result that God hopes to bring forth out of our suffering. That's everyday suffering. That's big time suffering for which we apply the grace of God and we grow and we get, we get fixed and we get improved. Uh, suffering, he has said, purifies the saint. Suffering purifies the saint. Now this comes as a shock to many people that they aren't already pure. We're constantly going through this process of purification. Because we're sinners by nature and by practice, in this world we're constantly picking things up that need to be removed 
from us because they have no place in the perfect will of God. That's exactly why in the 13th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus at that supper decided to, to get down on his knees and wrap a towel around his waist and take a, a basin of water and go from disciple to, to disciple. Now these disciples didn't wear socks like most normal civilized people. Now some of you come from places where you've never heard of socks. Socks are things you put on your feet before you put your shoes on. And if you don't know what shoes are, I'll talk to you afterwards. You need a special class, okay? But um, shoes and socks are very important. But uh, in those days, they didn't wear socks. They would wear uh, protective things sometimes, but they didn't wear socks like we wear. So they missed all the comforts of socks. Socks feel good. I, I, I like the feeling of socks. And socks have a secondary purpose. Not only do they make my, my feet uh, feel good and my legs have good circulation, but socks also keep the filth and the dirt off of me. And that's good. And hopefully they keep me warm and dry in all kinds of weather uh, when I put on those shoes. Now, if you've got some shoes that you really like, you wear them and you wear them and you wear them, don't you, Tom, until there's holes in the bottom. You got any like that at home, Tom? She threw them away. God bless you, Gene. Amen. I've still got a few like that I've, I've hung on to. I don't wear them, but I just, for, you know, sentimental purposes and reasons, that's all. Old shoes. You know, old shoes are comfortable, aren't they, Ray? They're very comfortable. Because when you first get a pair of shoes, they kind of chafe, don't they? And, uh, and it's not, they're not like the old pair. But anyway... In Bible times, they would wear sandals or different shoes that resembled sandals. They would, have, they would have places where the dirt would get in. And so over the course of walking up and down, those were, not every road was like a Roman road that was paved, that had cobblestones. Some roads were just dirt or sand or mud, and their feet would get dirty. And so they would come in at the end of the day, and uh, the most refreshing and hygienic thing that could happen would be to have your feet washed, whether you do it or somebody else does it for you. Now, I, I have a hard time anybody else washing my feet. First of all, you know, you can fight it, but it's ticklish, all right? That's the first thing. And the other thing is it's humbling. And that's why when these churches who practice foot washing for the reason of showing servanthood, some of them think it's a, a, an added ordinance, and it's the third ordinance, you know, you've got baptism and Lord's Supper, and then they've got foot washing, and they usually do it around the time they do the Lord's Supper, whenever that is, and that foot washing. But foot washing is not an ordinance because it doesn't picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, all right with that? Now, down in the country, there's a lot of churches and other places, too, where they practice foot washing as a ritual, and people actually wash each other's feet. And it is a vivid reminder that when we go out into this world, there's plenty of, of sin to go around. And we come, we come home and we just feel like we need a spiritual bath, don't we? Because we've been around so much that's sinful. And I don't even like to hear the current events about the latest thing, the latest wicked, sinful, filthy thing that's out there because I just feel like, even though I'm not participating, I feel like I want to go home and take a bath. Well, that's where the foot washing came in. It was for the purpose of signifying 
maintaining fellowship. Peter said, no, wash me entirely. Well, he'd already been literally washed, saved. He'd been converted, even though he wasn't completely done yet. He wasn't finished. He still had a lot of rough edges to knock off. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm going to wash feet to teach you about servanthood and about maintaining fellowship, just that little bit. Not the entire person being washed, but the feet being washed. Well, we know, we know that we're living in a world that is typical of that. And there's so much sin out there. And so we go through that, we go through those things, we go through all of those experiences, and we need to be purified. Now we are purified, first of all, when we start out with this identification with Jesus Christ. We have to constantly identify, I am a born-again Christian. I am a child of God. I have been saved by grace. I have a home in heaven. This is important. If we are going to truly experience the purification that we need to have that comes from suffering, we need to remember whose we are. And when people forget whose we are, that is, to whom we belong, that's when they start to blame God and get bitter when trials, burdens, difficulties, you know, problems, little irritations come their way. They get mad with God because God did something that they didn't want that was uncomfortable. He permitted something. He permitted some, some difficulty or distance, some uh, interpersonal thing, some family thing, some job thing to happen that's uncomfortable. No, when God permits that, you say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't like how it feels, but Lord, I submit to you. Why? Because I belong to you. We're bought with a price. Lock, stock, and barrel from the crown of our head to the soles of our feet. We belong to Jesus Christ. We've been bought and paid for. So when we go through trials, guess what? We're still bought and paid for, and we still need to acknowledge Him. We need to identify with Jesus Christ. He was not, he was not insulated from sufferings, from trials, from difficulties, and He's perfect. And so we shouldn't complain about it. When we suffer for Him and with Him, we learn something about uh, this thing we're going through and hopefully well, it makes our skin crawl and we get a creepy feeling about sin. We don't like sin. We need to stop uh, rubbing elbows with it and getting around sin and getting familiar with sin and people who know about everybody else's sin and they're around it all the time. There is a grave danger in that. We need to hate it. We need to despise it. We need to call it what it is. So we acknowledge the Lord. We learn to identify with Jesus Christ. We hate sin. And we're reminded of the fact that <clears throat> life is very brief. Look at 1 Peter 4. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For the, he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. That doesn't mean we're sinlessly perfect. It means we've got a brand new purpose. And so the purpose, one of the main purposes 
of God's allowing suffering in our life is to purify us, to get us to identify with Jesus more constantly, to identify, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm a child of the King. And to hate and abhor sin. Not sinners, but sin. And it's hard for us to do that, but by allowing the Lord to have His way, we can do that. We can divide that. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. People will start to criticize you on the job, in the neighborhood, among family and friends because you don't party with them anymore. You hate it because you realize that sin is what nailed Jesus to the cross. Sin is what keeps us from having victory every day and experiencing it and applying it and testifying of it as we ought to. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick, the living and the dead? Uh, for, for this cause was the gospel preached also unto them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So life is short. Life is very short. And we need to remember that our journeying down here, our sojourning is just for the time being. Later on, we're going up higher and praise God for that. Not only does our commentator friend say that suffering purifies the saint, but he also says suffering unifies the church. Look in verse number 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer above all things. Have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. I'm so glad that verse is in the Bible. Aren't you? Aren't you glad that God wants us to manifest outwardly Fervent, I mean warm charity. That's agape love toward each other. We're not perfect. We don't, we don't, we don't love somebody else because they're sinless. Oh, I just, I just love so-and-so because they're just so close to, to Jesus and to perfection. That's not the reason. He didn't love us for that reason. The love of God emanates out of the character of God. And when we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, then we're able to likewise manifest that love. The reason we show agape love is because we've been shown it already by the Lord Himself. So we show it to others. We show it to people, not people who deserve it. We didn't deserve it. We show it to people because of the nature of agape love. That's it. And in the local church, we need to find us some some new believer or some imperfect believer and just show God's agape love and fervent charity one toward another and that covers a multitude of sins. Now it doesn't get, it doesn't get the person forgiveness. That took place at Calvary. Jesus Christ did that. But it helps people to be able to move on without being hindering uh, being hindered by our standing in judgment over them. I've been saved longer than you have, we say, uh, in our mind, and therefore I am, I'm qualified to stand back and to judge you. Why, you haven't come as far as I have. That's the worst kind of Phariseeism in today's churches. But if we would say, you know, that person just needs loving. They need unconditional, unconditional, 
unmerited, fervent love. And let's show it. Amen? Let's find us somebody to show that love to. Let's be sober, serious-minded. Christ Jesus did that for us. We want to do it for others. He's coming soon. He's going to take us home. And so the suffering that we're going through, little irritations every day, big suffering every now and then, we get God's grace for that. He's honing us. He's perfecting us. He's fixing us as we're going through it. And what does it do? It purifies us because we're not perfect yet. Our everyday practical Christian living needs some working on. And so he's, he's working on that, and that's what suffering's helping us to, to fix. We're being purified, and as a church, we're being unified because guess what? Nobody's perfect here, but only Jesus Christ. And then uh, here it is, what we read in verse 12. Verse number 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4 says, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. The church at Philippi was suffering. They were the suffering church. And Paul was in prison and he was suffering. And he wrote to them, he said, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. That means all the time and in every circumstance. And again, I say, Rejoice. So he repeats himself. He says, rejoicing. Now, where does rejoicing come from? It, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, right? A fruit of the Spirit. So it comes out of the Holy Spirit being given free course through our life. Doesn't matter that we're suffering. Doesn't matter that somebody's let us down. Doesn't matter that someone's trying to hurt us or destroy us. We just let the love of the Lord Jesus flow out, and it flows out in the form of rejoicing. And there we are, praising the Lord anyhow. There it is. You and I can expect trials. It's going to come. They're not strangers to us. Think it not strange. Trials in the will of God are warnings to us not to disobey Him, but to stay in fellowship. They're tools for perfecting, cleaning us up, making us what we ought to be. And as we're going through those trials, uh, we're going through with and for Jesus Christ, those same trials, we are sharing in them with the Lord. And we need to be found doing that when Jesus comes back for us. Comes back for us, and we're going to be translated, boom, out of this world, gone in the twinkling of an eye. Wow. I want you to think back. Book of Daniel. Three young men. I don't know where, where Daniel was at this time. Might have been out of town on business because he was entrusted as, as a young man. But his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were the names they gave them. Those three, those three men refused when everybody else bent and bowed under pressure to this 90-foot pagan idol out there on the plains. They had their orchestra all warmed up. I mean, I don't know what the tune was they were playing, but when they played, that was the signal. And everybody hit the ground and bowed down to that 90-foot image. We believe the image of the emperor except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And I mean, they were upset because everybody wasn't in lockstep. We Christians, uh, we have a tendency, especially as independent Baptists, not to do what the whole rest of humanity is doing in lockstep. We have, we have this thing that we do. We look up and say, what do you say, Lord? And in that moment, that, that's, that's, that can't be uh, anything that's allowed or permitted by despots. Despots want unquestioning, unquestioning uh, obedience without, without any prayer, meditation, or concern. And we, we're going to take time. We're going to say, excuse me, I'm going to talk to my father about this. And so there they are. And they say, well, we'll give you another chance. We'll give you another chance. Next time you just you bow down, we'll forget about this time. Nope. Doesn't matter. We don't, we don't need any time to study the matter or to consider it or to negotiate because we're not going to bow down. And we don't care whether you throw us in the fire or not. And if we die, we die, but we're, not, we're still not going to bow down to that thing. There are a lot worse things than physically dying. And what that is, is to live for nothing. And to stand for nothing. And to suffer for nothing. There's, there's a reason. There's a higher purpose. And here's what it is. And I hope you get this. I hope it takes you through the evening and takes you home and pillows your head tonight and wakes you up sweetly in the morning and kind of pats you on the back and say, says to you, Go, Tiger. And uh, you want to face the world, the flesh, and the devil on this one. Here it is. Here, here it is. We don't care if you throw us in the fiery furnace. He heated it up hotter than it ever been, so much so that the men that threw him in, they died, they perished from the heat. And here's the reason why it didn't bother them, because inside they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. They were not harmed. Not a hair of their head was burned, even though the men who threw them in died doing so. It was so hot. So didn't we not throw three into the fiery furnace? It looks like there's four in there now. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Now this is why they didn't have a problem, because they got to be with Jesus. They got to walk around in the fire with Jesus. Three went in and three came out. That means that Jesus is still in the fire, the next one that you're going to go in. Maybe on the job, maybe with your loved ones, maybe with your family. Uh, who knows? I don't know where it is, but whatever fiery trial you go in, Jesus is already there ahead of you. And Jesus will be with you. And what you get while they look on in amazement is you get to walk and talk and be with Jesus during that time. Now that's worthwhile. That's worth it all. We don't want to be ashamed of Jesus or of the trial. The Apostle Paul spoke to those to whom he wrote and said, don't be ashamed of my chain. He said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, several kinds of marks, like the branding of a criminal or the branding of a slave or the wounds of someone who has been punished, beaten. He says, don't be ashamed of those marks. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus what do we have? I had a mentor 
who all during World War II was a trainer in the military. Trained a lot of successful military people, but he himself saw no action. And when his trainees came home and they had lost limbs and broken bones and, and bandages all over them, he felt ashamed of himself because he didn't have any marks. But he was a trainer of those that had gone out. And I know exactly what people are thinking right now. As I'm speaking, this is going out. It's being broadcast. And you're saying, Preacher, you're not suggesting that we just kind of run into the enemy's fire and, 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 uh, and take it so that we'll have something to, to show for the battle. No, but in the course of serving Jesus, if you, if you take fire or if you, are, if you are wounded or if you have the marks of the Lord Jesus, don't be ashamed. Because He's left us here with the understanding that we are going to suffer. We don't know when and where, under what circumstances. We read about the discipleship verses of Mark chapter 8. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus is coming soon. And when He comes, He is going to reward those who have been faithful. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And through the trials, we can be, by the grace of God, faithful to the One who has called us to suffer, the One who has called us to represent Him, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. The last verse of 1 Peter chapter 4 is verse number 19. Wherefore, summarizing it all, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. The word commit is a banking term. It means to deposit, to put under lock and key. It can't be robbed. It cannot be plundered. And it certainly goes along with what we've read about the trials of our faith that produce a purified version of ourselves, and that is gold purified in the fire. When we come forth, we come forth as gold. Purified, unified, and yes, glorified. For the purpose of, in turn, bringing the glory and giving the credit to Jesus Christ. Yes, someday I hope to hear him say, well done. And when he does, I hope to receive a crown or crowns. And when I receive that crown or crowns, there's only one thing I'm going to do. I'm not going to do what the old gospel song says, I'm going to wear a crown. We shall wear a crown. If we do, it'll be brief. Because when King Jesus steps up, we're going to take off those crowns and we're going to cast them at Jesus' feet. Glory to God. It's worth suffering. It's worth it all. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And if the Spirit of God spoke to your heart tonight, would you slip your hand up with me and say, Yes, the Lord spoke to my heart. Yes, He did. Yes, He did. I'm, I'm willing to go through it. I'm willing to go through the suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Wherever it is, instead of getting bitter and being upset. Let's thank the Lord for the opportunity to represent Him 
And now with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now from your heart to God? Say something like this from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me, and right now I receive Him into my heart as my personal Savior. Take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. When the invitation is extended now, if you meant that, won't you come? Amen. Going to live the way he wants me to live. I'm going to give until there's just no more to give. I'm going to love, love till there's just no more love. I could never, never outlove the Lord. There have been times when giving and loving brought pain, and I promised I would never let it happen again. But I found out that loving was well worth the risk And that even in losing you win I'm going to live the way he wants me Until there's just no more to give I'm going to love, love Till there's just no more love I could never, never out-love the 